0: All right. Good morning and welcome to Chanel. I'm glad to be back after suffering in Malibu last week um, and then going to Disneyland by myself. So I've lost all credibility in our household and I will be doing all the children's stuff probably for the foreseeable future. But uh, glad to be back with, with who I believe are some of the best people in Arkansas. Uh, I spent a lot of time with, with a group of ministers last week, which is one of my least favorite things to do, and, and one of the things that, that I realized, and I mean this in all sincerity, is like how blessed I am to work with you all, uh, how, how blessed I am to have an eldership that cares about not just my family, but all of your families too. Like Chennau is a great place, and even though we are not close to the beach, I still think we're the best. So if you would bow with me, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together, Lord, to uh, share in communion. God, to sing praises to you, uh, to fellowship with one another, and, and for a period right now to study your word. God, I ask that you speak through me and allow these, this text to, to come alive. And it's your son that we pray. Amen. Now, uh, my, this is my son's lunchbox. Uh, it is a Minecraft lunchbox. I don't know what Minecraft is. Hopefully it's nothing bad. I should have Googled that ahead of time, but as I present it to all of you right here. Uh, but This is my son's lunchbox. He, he takes this lunchbox to school every single day. Now, we, we checked him out of school on Friday, which meant this lunchbox has been in our car for the last three days, and when I opened it a little while ago, it shows. Um, there's a couple of uh, loose gummies, if anyone is hungry, that you can have in this, but every single day. Whitney gets up, and she packs this kid's lunch, like, religiously. And she does her best to put a couple of healthy things in it. Normally, there's some apple slices with peanut butter. Rejects it. Uh, There's often a granola bar that gets to ride almost all week long until he eats it. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, granola bar hanging out in here. Uh, There's often a uh, yogurt stick that we know he eats uh, because... Judah doesn't want to add trash to the school. He puts that yogurt stick back in this bag, and so the rest of the yogurt that's not consumed, it's just hanging out of the bottom. Kind of a nice little swamp situation here. But this lunchbox is all he will eat. Judah is an extremely picky eater. Uh, We have tried everything. Whitney has has tried everything. um, Just to make sure this kid has a variety in his diet. But there's just a few staples. And I say that because... When he goes to school, he's got to have this lunchbox. Because even though he's got this lunchbox, there's nothing that brings more fear into Judah Kittinger than this. Who remembers these things? The lunchroom tray. Now, we have, at times, read the menu for the week and said, Judah, maybe this is the week that you try that rectangular pizza that's going to fit perfectly right there. They're going to put some corn right here. He's like, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. He legit has anxiety about grabbing one of these trays. Because in his mind, what's on the tray is, is something that he's not going to eat. It's just not going to happen. And which brings me to the point of this story. A few weeks ago, actually it was last semester, uh, our morning just started off bad. Like we, we didn't have all the mojo going. Uh, he got up super late and he was just kind of groggy and, and we were like, hey, dude, you've got to go to school today. We're like, let's get the wheels moving. It's not happening. We, we are rushing to get out of the house, and then I see him grab his book bag and his lunchbox in two separate hands. Now, normally that lunchbox is falling on the floor. No one said anything. Thank you for that. Normally that lunchbox is in the book bag. But this day it's in one hand, book bag in the other. We're rushing to school. We get him there right before the tardy bell. And uh, I said, "Hey Jude, I love you. Have a great day." He says, "Okay," uh, means a lot. Uh, didn't say it back, but uh, it's like parenting. They're like, always tell your kids you they love you, you love them. And if they don't say it back, you're like, oh, it hurts. But uh, he gets out. He runs into school, makes it on time, and I drive out here. Uh, that's what I love to drop him off of school. I come right out to the office, and as I turn to get my bag, I see in his seat the lunchbox. And I'm like, oh. And I'm a good dad. I try to be, at least on paper. Um, and so what I decide to do is I just I start my car, I drive back over to Midtown where Judy goes to school, and uh, I take it to the office. Now, school had already started. They'd already had their kind of their first thing for the day. And so I, I told the lunch or the lady in the office, hey, this lunchbox is for Judy Kittinger. I, I'm not going to have you interrupt his class. I don't want you like to pull him out or anything like that. Just before lunch, if you don't mind, to call his class and tell him that his lunchbox is in the office. Now, this is a story that I'm using in a sermon, so you know that's not what happened. I do not at all blame anybody in the school, because if you've been in a school, there's a lot of stuff happening that is way more important and more immediately needed than a kid's lunchbox. But for whatever rhyme or reason, that call never was made, the lunchbox was never given. Now, a lot of you know Judah, and so you know that the kid has a big heart, but he is a softy too. He doesn't like any conflict. He doesn't like to get in trouble. He, he, just, he, he doesn't even really like to call attention to himself. I know some of you are like, really? Yeah. <laughs> so lunch comes around, and Judah is like, I don't have a lunchbox. And, and again, I, I, going back to this tray that I'm definitely returning to Amazon, in his, in his mind, he's like, I'm going to have to eat one of these off of this tray. And so what Judah does, this is kind of where the story starts to break me. When they, when they get in line and they, they go to the lunchroom, uh, Judah sees the bathroom. And Judah just dips into the bathroom. And uh, again, it's, uh, I'm a softy too, I guess. But uh, it's like, where does he get it from? But he goes in the bathroom and he starts to cry. Um, and this is a story like I wasn't there. This is a story that we were told. Um, he starts to cry in the bathroom because, in, in Judah's mind, and this is where I'm like, I'm making a point, but I'm also really getting emotional. Uh, he's forgotten, someone has forgotten his lunch. Now, he knows who it is mom, dad, uh, suspects one and two. Um, but he goes in the bathroom, he starts to cry because there's you know, again, he's no way he's in off that tray. His lunchbox, which is at this point like a safety blanket, isn't there. He's, he's been forgotten. Now, I'm a big name-it-and-claim-it guy, uh, and so I'll, I'll give this teacher a shout-out. His second-grade teacher, Mrs. Strode, walks by the bathroom and, and hears the kid crying. Peeks her head in and sees that it's Judah. She takes Judah. She says, hey, like, let's not cry in the bathroom. Um, takes him says, let's go to the office and we'll see if we can figure something out. Walks in the office. Boom. Lunchbox. Waterworks, over. But I tell that story to present this question. Like, how many of us have ever felt that way? Maybe we felt left out, overlooked, forgotten. Like, at its core, like I'm talking about a lunchroom experience that maybe we have felt from one time or another. But like, we all understand that basic human feeling of wanting to be seen wanting to be included, wanting to be known that no one has forgotten us, even with something as simple as a lunchbox. Now, Jesus talks about this in in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, is this working or not, Miles? Is that me? Was that me or you, Miles? That was you. Okay, Miles and I, we're going to work together today. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus presents this idea of seeing people that are often overlooked. And it starts in a really kind of unique place here in Luke 14. The text says that one Sabbath, when Jesus who went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, this sounds like a terrible dinner party. A bunch of religious people wanting to talk about religious things. And what the Pharisees are really trying to do, as some commentaries will kind of uh, try to present, the Pharisees are kind of being like spies. Like, they are welcoming Jesus into this dinner party, but what they're really trying to do is to entrap Jesus, which is a terrible dinner party. No one ever wants to go to a dinner party and feel like you're going to be trapped. It's a terrible dinner party. And so it's, like, on the menu is really, like, theological topics and pharisaical tricks. Next, Next text, Miles. There in front of them was a man suffering abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So the Pharisees have invited Jesus to trick them, to trick Jesus. But what Jesus does in this moment is he switches things up. He says, I'm going to ask you a question. Because you're trying to trick me, I'm going to ask you a question. So is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? It's easy for us to do exactly what the Pharisees did. Because they went and made this a tradition conversation. Because even like right now, think of how easy it was for us to forget that there is a man sitting there with abnormal swelling of his body. It's so easy to focus on the tradition. It's so easy to focus on what's right and what's wrong and forget that there is a human being right there suffering. And that's what Jesus is drawing attention to. What are you more worried about? This tradition that you've staked your whole life and identity on. That is what the Pharisees were known for. Keeping the law to the nth degree. Like they were awesome at it. But Jesus, "You're, you're failing to see that there are human beings in front of you that need help, that are suffering, that are in pain. But they remained silent. These are the people who are supposed to know all of the answers of the law. They're supposed to have it all together, have every type of Bible bowl type answer ready to go with their hands and buzzers ready. And in this moment, when Jesus asks them, is it lawful to kill this man on the Sabbath? They are silent. So taking hold of the man. We see this when Jesus does this in several situations with kids, where he's bringing a kid to the center. He takes hold of this man. Go back one more time, Miles. He healed him and sent him on his way. I love the opening of this story because it reminds us that sometimes we overlook people who need our help because we're more worried about making sure that we're checking a list. Jesus takes this dinner party And turns it into this conversation of, who are you overlooking? Who have you forgotten? Who are you ignoring? And more than that, what are the reasons that you're doing this? One of the things that keeps coming to mind when I think about the opening of this story is how I always have the most important phone call on the planet when I get stopped and there's a panhandler. All of a sudden, the President of the United States is calling me, and I'm like, all right, I've got to take this call, and I'm going to weirdly only look forward. When I do that, I'm ignoring another person's humanity. I don't always have to give that person a dollar or whatever. But it doesn't cost me anything to smile and say, man, I hope you have a great day. It doesn't cost me a thing. But often what I choose to do is kind of what the Pharisees do. So I remain silent when I see someone who might need to know that somebody else sees them for the first time? Let's go to that next verse, Miles. The story continues. Says when he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table. I love this because this is how you know that Jesus was like feeling himself. Like because now we're kind of cooking with oil, as my grandmother would say. He's just taught them a lesson about who are you not seeing, who are you overlooking, who are you ignoring. And so then he picks it up in verse 7. When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not distinguish, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host uh, who invited both of you will come and say, give this person your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Jesus right now, in this text, is getting at their pride. He's really driving home this point of what is the most important thing for you? Is it seeing people? Is it serving people? Or is it having the best seat at the table? I was at a dinner the other night with a bunch of preachers, and I sat back because I wanted to see who was going to sit where. And also, I didn't want to sit by certain people, so I was also playing that game too. But we, we do this like almost like un, like unconsciously sometimes. We try to take the head seat of the table. And I remember when there, was, there wasn't room and they had to force somebody to sit at one end of the table, you could tell the person didn't even want to do it because they understood like, they're at the head of the table. We understand this in, all, in our culture, and they did as well. But what Jesus is, is pushing here is hierarchy. Do you think that you're better than somebody else? And what he's he's emphasizing here is sometimes when you think that you're better than somebody else, you're going to get humiliated. Let's go to the next one, Miles. Verse 10, but when you were invited, take the lowest place. There was this thing that they did in the ancient world that we would never do today, which is where when you invite somebody to your party, you're hoping that they extend an invitation to you. We would never do that today. But when you were invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. But Jesus continues with this idea of a dinner party. Next slide. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Again, there's that like exchange that happens in this culture where you're inviting someone to a dinner party hoping that they invite you to their future dinner party. Next one. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Jesus is teaching these individuals who think that they've got it all together who think that they have all of the answers, that they know every nook and cranny of Scripture and they can get it right and they can hit their buzzer and be the first one to answer, he is teaching them that you've missed the point. Because you've been so consumed with getting it right, you overlook people. You ignore people. Jesus is inviting these individuals who think that they have it all together into this intentional lifestyle, of purposefully seeing people that the world ignores. The list that Jesus gives you in this text, those are the very people that are often cast out of their homes. We're going to look at just a story in just a moment, but those are the individuals who have to beg just to have anything. Jesus is saying, these are the people that you need to be serving. These are the people that you need to be helping. And more than any of that, these are the people that you need to be seen. One of the reasons why I love this church is because of of all of you. But I love this church because this church has a heart of service. Like we do. It is part of our identity from day one. But there's one individual that that I want to talk about. I'm not going to say their name, so don't get worried about it. But there's one individual that anytime that there is a, a need, anytime that there is a natural disaster, uh, a weather event, if it's uh, if freezing w- uh, weather is coming or whatever like that, this individual will call me and another person and say, "Who needs help?" When the tornado hel- hit, it was one of my favorite phone calls. I got this call from this person and they said, "Who needs electricity?" I don't know. Like I'm like I, I don't feel like I'm the middleman in this, but their their need was it's <laughs> like there's way more qualified individuals than me, but there was like who who needs help? Who is, is being overlooked? Whose needs haven't been met in this moment? Anytime that there, there's, again, there's freezing weather, they'll call me in another person and say, have you heard of anybody who has pipes that are frozen? And this is the beautiful thing about this person. There is a decent chance that I'm thinking of one person and you're thinking of somebody else. But that idea, that individual intentionally looks for people who need help. That is part of their identity, their existence, is to help those who are overlooked, help those who have needs, help those who need to be seen. Sometimes this person just shows up. That means a lot to people who at their core just need to know that they're seen, that they matter. No, it's not just Jesus who talks about this. Because Peter reinforces this teaching of Jesus in Acts chapter 3. Let's go there, Miles. It says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put out every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. We'll pause right there for just a little bit and think of this scene. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. That's what you do. You go to the temple to pray. Now it says, a lame man from birth. Now Luke includes, Luke is very intentional when he writes. He gives you these, these details that he wants you to understand, like pay attention to this. So when Luke adds the detail that this is a lame man from birth, he's wanting you to know this man hasn't walked. Can't walk. Physically can't do it. But more than that, Luke is showing you that this is wrapped up in who this individual is and how people see him, if they see him. Every single day, this individual went to the temple gate called Beautiful and begged for money. This is one of the individuals that when Jesus talked about these are the people to see, these are the people to serve. These are the people to care about. These are the people to invite to your dinner party. This is who Jesus is talking about. Somebody that society has left out to just fend for themselves. Every day he goes to the temple to beg. Next text. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. We, we have all at one point in our lives have been in this situation Or somebody comes up to us and just says, hey, can I have a dollar? Anything you can give me will help. We we understand this kind of human element. But again, Luke is intentional. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Now, we we, we don't have a video of this. We don't have a, a picture of this. But I would argue, based off of what this man has to do, his head's down. He's probably intimidated. He probably even feels bad asking people for money. That's how he survives. It's how he exists. He probably feels guilty, unworthy. Because Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. This man had been doing this his entire life going to this temple gate every single day, asking for money. His head's down, probably he has maybe a, a cup or a jar or something like that. But in this scene, everything changes for this man. Because Peter and John say, look at us. They are saying, we see you. We know that every person that has walked past you, maybe they've given you a coin, maybe they haven't, they've just ignored you. But Peter and John are echoing the teachings that we see in Luke 14, that Jesus says, Notice the people that the world overlooks. Serve the people that the world refuses to serve. Peter and John are living that out in Acts 3. say, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. This is why I love this story. This man still thinks we're having a worldly conversation. He still thinks that what is about to happen is going to be like an exchange of goods, an exchange of money. Next one, Miles. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. If you've ever tried to start off like talking to a panhandler, this isn't the best way to do it. I would just tell you that today. But Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have I do, what I do have, I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I think you probably could have heard a pin drop. Because we've just learned that this man has not been able to walk a day since he was born. And Peter and John are there, and they say, we're going to give you something that is so much more valuable than money. We're going to give you something that will change your life. Yes, we're having a conversation where you're asking for money, but we're going to give you something better. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. I would argue that in these few verses, this man is experiencing so many things that he has not experienced in a very, very long time, if ever. People seeing him, looking at him eye to eye, talking to him, and then they touch him. They grab his right hand and help him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. So the next one, Miles. I love this. He jumped to his feet. He didn't even wait a second to try him out, right? He, he's like, I know that something within me has changed. I'm going to jump. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I talk a lot about legacy building. I think it's something that that churches should intentionally be doing. Where I I pour into another person, that person pours into another person, and so on and so forth. That is what is occurring here. Peter and John have poured into this man who has never experienced Jesus before. And the first thing that this guy does is he starts showing people what has happened to him, thus pouring into other people. Next slide, Miles. While the man held on to Peter and John, this is how you know this man has experienced something. This is likely a grown man. He won't let him go. After Judah lost his lunchbox, guess who was more intentional with making sure that lunchbox was in the lunch bag, in the book bag? When you experience something like that, you don't want to let it go. You don't want to risk it being lost. So while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished It came running to him in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Next one, this is the last one. When Peter saw this, this is how you know Peter's a preacher. Peter sees a crowd gathering, he's like, All right, listen up. I got a sermon for you. Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness, godliness, we made this man walk? The text will continue with Peter talking about what God has done. But this morning, what I wanted to draw attention to and what I wanted you to see is how important it is if we're going to be a church that lives out the Great Commission, to be intentional with our eyes. It is so easy to be like the individuals in Luke 14. We are focused on what we need, who serves us, what we can get out of those social situations. It is so easy to do that. And often we just instinctually fall into that. But it is a way more rewarding and more purposeful life to live the way that Peter and John do in Acts 3. Being willing to slow down and see people that the world overlooks. Because when we do that, we live out the teaching of Christ. We live out the Great Commission. We become people who intentionally see those the world overlooks, those the world forgets, and those that the world refuses to see. And So that is our challenge as a church as we continue to try to live out the Great Commission. We want to be a church that goes and does things. We want to serve our neighbors, serve our community. We also want to be a church that instills within our children how important it is to learn Scripture, to follow the teachings of Christ. We also want to be a church that disciples people, that we pour into the lives of people in this church so that not only they feel welcomed here, but they are growing. And finally, as we conclude this series, we want to be a church that sees the people that the world overlooks. Because that is what Christ calls us to and invites us into with the Great Commission. Let's stand and sing together.